Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, a weekly interview show about art, craft, and creativity. I produce it in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. This episode of Craft Sanity is sponsored by Patricia Zapata, who runs alittlehut.com, zapatadesign.com, and craftsynergy.com. This episode is also sponsored by David and Tina Lindquist. David is a woodturner. Check out his work at craftiness.etsy.com and read Tina's blog at tinascraftiness.blogspot.com. So let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 81 of the Craft Sanity Podcast. This week, I'm very pleased to bring you a conversation with a fellow journalist. Her name is Kimberly Winston, and she's 44 of California, and she is the author of Bead One, Pray Two, A Guide to Making and Using Prayer Beads. What was really intriguing to me is when I first got a copy of this book, you know, I'm thinking, no, I know about prayer beads. Catholics use prayer beads. (laughs) And that was pretty much the extent of my knowledge, but I thought, geez, there's a whole book on this? It became clear to me very quickly how little I actually know about prayer beads. And I think what makes it appealing to artists and crafters of the world is that it not only gives us information about the history of world religions, in the book, Kimberly also offers directions on how to make your own rosaries and your own um, strings of, of prayer beads. But this is not a book that talks about or tries to persuade people to take up any kind of religious practice. Um, Basically, it just tells people how they can use beads in spirituality. Stick around after the show, or actually after the interview, to hear how you can get in the drawing to win a copy of Bead One, Pray Two. Okay, so let's get on to that interview. Kimberly, I am thrilled thrilled to have you on the show oh, this week because so when you contacted me and I, I was like, okay, I hadn't heard about your book yet, but I figured it was probably just a matter of time because it really is, I, I love the way you took a, you took a journalistic approach to it because uh-huh. you're a journalist and I'm a journalist as well. Uh-huh. And I really like the way, because you, you, when you wrote Bead One, Pray Two, a guide to making and using prayer beads, um, it's not a, a regular beading book. No. However, it appeals to beaters, people who are into beading and also um, people who are interested in the history uh-huh. of prayer beads and also just people who are curious. And I'd like to hear a little about your background as a crafter and also your background as a writer because I think you really have taken, kind of melded the two in this book. Sure. Well, let's start with my background as a crafter because it's something that I have always done. You know, I can remember being a little kid and loving to draw pictures of princesses. I wanted to make my own coloring books, and my own coloring books were always full of pictures of princesses. <laughs> and they're always the same darn print, same hair, same dress. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny because it wasn't that I was drawing a picture of a princess. I was making a coloring book. Like I would draw eight or ten pictures in a pad and then with the idea that I was going to come back to this later and color them in. So I've always done where I've made something. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in third grade, I had this horrible witch of a teacher. I mean, she was just awful. She was in her last year of teaching elementary school, and she just, I think she saved it up for 40 years and let it all out of my class. <laughs> but the one fabulous thing she, well, there's more than one, but the one really fabulous thing she did for me was she was a needle pointer. And I think probably 
she was so bored and so sick of teaching that she would bring her needlepoint to class and she turned it into our class, like arts and crafts time. Oh, okay. So she gave us all like 12 by 12 squares of canvas. And for needles, we used bobby pins. Really? All we were required to bring from home was yarn. You know, you could bring one color, two colors, three colors, and we shared. And we got to design our own canvas. And from that moment, I was utterly hooked on any kind of handwork mm-hmm. that involved a needle and thread. And my first thing that I made in her class was a smiley face. And it's just always been with me from that time. There has never been a time when I did not have some craft, whether it was needlework or beadwork or decoupage. Um, what else? Do I, oh, knitting. I'm into knitting. Oh, my God, I'm up to my eyeballs in knitting right now. <laughs> I have been for about the last four years. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I, I have to always be doing something. And it's, it's, more than, it's more than just, oh, hey, I like to knit or I like to make this. It's really a desire. And it's something that I just think I could not live without doing. I'm right there with you, sister. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think this is such a um, need for you? I don't know. I think part of it, it's part of the answer is spiritual because there is, I think I described this in the book, when I sit down to do a craft, I get a sense of, it, it, it's almost like my whole life just slows down. Everything slows down and I'm in the zone. I mean, that's the only way I know how to describe it. Mm-hmm. But it's a very, it's a place I've never really been able to capture anywhere else. And, you know, in my life, I don't capture it when I run. I don't capture it, you know, when I cook. But it's this place where that sort of still small voice that I think of as the divine, that still small voice inside me, has the opportunity to bubble up. Mm -hmm. And it is the one thing that I do where I actually, you know, tune into myself, tune into God inside me. And I think I enter this very spiritual place. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, everything that I create when I'm in that place is, you know, uh, a work of art. Mm -hmm. It's just I think that's why I have a need to go there is, it's a very special, prayerful, worshipful place, and I seem to have a need for that, a need that has not really ever been answered for me in a bricks-and-mortar church. Mm-hmm. I, I used to attend a bricks-and-mortar church, and I don't have any super big you know, um, uh, feeling that I'll never go there again, but for whatever reason, I have stopped being as fulfilled there as I am when I stop, take time either to craft or to pray and access God that way. I think that that's going to resonate with people because there are a lot of us who feel that we are opening ourselves up into something much larger than us when we, you know, just get into that zone where we're feeling really connected. Yeah. What point in your life did you kind of decide for yourself that the bricks and mortar church was not going to be able to offer you what Ugh. you're able to get just on your own? Well, it was quite a while ago. It was um, 
let me think about this a second. I think it was in 1993, 94. Um, before, before I moved to California, I lived in New York City. And um, I was living in New York City, and I was attending this wonderful church on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I am a, a Methodist by, okay. by um, uh, you know, being brought up. Okay. Uh, I was brought up in the Methodist church. And I do still sort of tangentially consider myself a Methodist. But what happened was, at about that time in 1993-94, sometime around there, um, the denominational body of the United Methodist Church had its, uh, I think it's convention that they have every four years. And at this convention, on the floor was this resolution, um, let, us make, uh, let us make a decision as a denomination that we will welcome and affirm um, gays, lesbians, transgendered, bisexual people. Mm-hmm. You know, let's recognize that they are children of God and, and they're welcome in our church. And my church was a welcoming and affirming congregation. You know, we, we welcomed and affirmed people of any sexuality. We were welcome to affirm anybody. You're a child of God, not for us to say you're not. Mm-hmm. And the Methodist Church, the denominational body at that time, struck down that proposal and said, nope, you know, uh, heterosexuality is the way. We do not welcome and affirm. And, and I was so upset because, to me, it seemed to negate everything I thought Jesus taught, everything I thought church should stand for. And my best friend is a gay man. And I was like, well, how can I, in good conscience, continue to be a member of this church, this denomination? Mm-hmm. I just thought it was incredibly hypocritical. And at the same time, I made the move from um, the East Coast to the West Coast. So I made a decision when I moved out here that I was not going to belong to a denomination that uh, I feel is hypocritical and, you know, said, some of us are children of God, but the rest of you are not. And... um, Probably if I had continued to live in New York, I would have continued to go to my church because we were welcoming and affirming. And certainly there are welcoming and affirming churches here on the West Coast. But I haven't been able to find one since then that really speaks to me, that's made me feel at home. About the same time I became a journalist, that's why I moved to the West Coast. I had graduated from, uh, from uh, journalism school and got a job out here. And almost immediately after getting this job, I became the religion reporter at the paper. And, you know, the closer you get to organized religion, the more you look at organized religion, the less pretty it is. (laughs) And it just kind of became this thing where it was almost like I knew too much, you know, and, and I just couldn't find, I couldn't find a genuine spiritual place, a genuine, you know, that, that spoke to me as a truly spiritual place. Well, it's an interesting position you were in, too, because as a journalist, uh, we're trained to come at everything very critically. Mm-hmm. And it comes into conflict when you're in a setting, a religious setting, where it's all based on faith and accepting yeah. a lot on faith. As a journalist, you're naturally going to question things, too. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's another contradiction. I know, personally, I've struggled with that a little bit myself, you know, because I'm always questioning things, um, just yeah. everything. So you decided at that point, then, just to just kind of practice on your own. I thought of it as taking a break. 
Okay. I mean, I certainly didn't think, oh, suddenly I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic. I thought it was kind of taking a break. Mm -hmm. Before I wrote Bead One, Pray Two, I wrote uh, another book for uh, the same publisher in the same line, you know, this, this spirituality and craft. Uh, that was on quilting and prayer, and these this mini- specifically about a single ministry that they make prayer quilts where they, as they are making quilts, they endow it with prayer, and then they give the quilt to someone who's in crisis um, in, with the idea that the, these people are literally wrapped in prayer. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a book in the same line, but slightly different. And in the in the afterward to that book, um, I described how um, how meaningful it had been to me to... I, I do not quilt. You know, I do bead, but I do not quilt. So that book is a bit different. You know, I had to go and interview the people who were actually doing it as opposed to doing it myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I was writing in the afterword about how meaningful it was to me to meet these people who did this and that it actually helped me because um, on September 11th, uh, 2001... I, like a lot of other people, I'm sure, I had a tremendous crisis of faith. And um, I became very, very angry with God. And I really didn't understand, you know, how God could let this happen. Why do bad things happen? Um, Very, you know, the very basic questions of faith, but also questions that showed how really immature my own faith was. Um, And I got very mad, and I said... If, this, if God can allow this to happen, then this is not a God that I want to have anything to do with. I was just really upset. Yeah, that and was a horrible time. It was horrible. Yeah. And at the same time um, was when my husband and I experienced a string of miscarriages. And in fact, on September 11th, I was watching the television coverage from my doctor's office. I had just miscarried. Oh, geez. And so it was kind of this double whammy. Yeah, my goodness. That's awful. It was awful. And so I went through this terrible period of being really angry Mm -hmm. with God. And that lasted for, I would say, a good two or three years. And now this is going to sound really weird, but then I found prayer beads. And... You know, I heard about them. I was, uh, as we said, I'm, I'm a journalist, and I was writing a story about um, people who combine spirituality and craft. And I, and I was covering, you know, a number of different crafts that people do spiritually. And in the course of researching it, I found um, I found out about the Anglican Rosary, Anglican prayer beads, and I thought I didn't know that that you know Protestants had prayer beads. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. No. And I thought, well, and, you know, I read about what it was, and I thought, well, I can make that because I beaded. You know, Mm -hmm. I was a huge beater by this point. So I thought, I've got all these beads. I'll just make one up, and I'll try it. And it became a way that I could sort of sidle back up to God, you know, like one step sideways. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't going into church, and I wasn't saying I believed. Right. But, you know, that I believed in him, and uh, but I was saying, hmm, I could try this. And over the course of the last, I think it's now about three years, by doing this practice on an almost daily basis, 
I have been able to let go of that anger that I had at God for September 11th, for bad things happening, for not being able to have a child. I have, you know, it's just, I, I cannot tell you the change it's brought in me. And, you know, it's not the beads, it's the praying. Mm-hmm. It's the taking time to check in and be attuned to what is divine and good around me rather than focusing on this bad thing happened, mm-hmm. you know, to me and to others. Now, in your research, did you also find that um, people that were using prayer beads that may not really have considered themselves religious at all, but like using using this as kind of a way to just meditate or have, yes. yeah? Uh, yes, um, that's one of the beautiful things about prayer beads is they don't have to be used in any kind of traditional, you know, you can. You can certainly sit down and, and say the Catholic Rosary the way Catholics have said the Catholic Rosary for a thousand years. Absolutely, right. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. If that works for you, absolutely do it. But they, they are a tool that can be used in an infinite number of ways. And the trick is to find the way that speaks to you. And so, mm-hmm. yes, in the reporting of this book, I found, peop- I found neo-pagans who took a rosary and popped off the cross and put on, say, a tree symbol mm-hmm. or um, a spiral symbol and made up all their own prayers. I talked to one woman who considered herself a druid, I believe she was, who said, if my house burned down, the only thing I would run back in to get are my prayer beads. Which is surprising. If, yeah, you know, I mean, that, yeah. that really surprised me. Yeah. And um, I have talked, well, my best girlfriend, I would describe as, I would describe her as an atheist, but I gave her a set of prayer beads because... Every night, she sits down and says affirmations. You know, I am beautiful. I am, I am a positive force in the universe. The universe is full of good things. Well, that's not necessarily what I would recognize as prayer. Mm-hmm. But for her, that's a kind of prayer. And now she uses it. She says them every night with her prayer beads. So whatever works for you, is fine and good and is not for anybody else to say that's not right or you shouldn't be using those you shouldn't be saying that with those they are they are a tool that mankind has had for i think we've decided that the first prayer beads were found in 3000 bce they are there for all of us to claim we all have a right to them Wow, that and that, so the, and that's the fascinating part of this is that you trace the history. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, all the way back. And how long did that take you to write that section of the book? Yeah, to just kind of trace it back and feel like yeah. okay, I feel pretty good about this. Yeah. I would say it took me. You know, I I didn't like. I'm not a, a person who sits down and works on one thing and one thing only. Right, I I don't do that either. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's not like I sat down and and wrote that chapter until it was done. But I would say a good two months of working on that and maybe one other section of the book at the same time. Um, I read books. I surfed the Internet. I talked to um, bead historians who knew there was such a thing. Um, I looked up the Museum of Beading. I talked to anthropologists. 
Uh, and, and the more I did that, the more I found out how the prayer beads are something that we all have in common. And I love that. I love that it's something that draws us all together instead of defines us as different from each other. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always looking for how we can all see ourselves under the same spiritual banner as opposed to, well, I don't believe that, and you're wrong about that. I don't like that. I don't like the divisiveness. Well, and that, that's really what got what drew me into the concept of even having anything involving prayer on a mm. show that's not traditionally discussing prayer at all. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I, and like I said, I, 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 I pray myself, but, I, you know, like I said, I've always felt like, okay, you know, that's not really part of, as a journalist, I mean, we don't bring our religion into it. We don't bring that's our right. personal beliefs really into it. I, of course I do totally bring my bias in favor of crafts into this show because right. <laughs> how could I do it any other way, you know? But um, one of the things that really uh, d- did, like I said, I like the fact that you traced it through the history, and you also, I thought it was neat that you had divided this into 33 parts, mm-hmm. which represents the, the beads, um, how many beads are on a traditional uh, rosary. And um, can you talk a little bit about just the, your decision and your approach, um, the decisions you made to approach this topic in a way that's going to be accessible? Because I get the sense from reading this that you really did want to have it be accessible to a wide audience and not just people of faith practicing a particular religion in a traditional church setting. Am I that's, wrong on that, or is that... No, which, that's yeah. absolutely right. But if somebody wants to only use their prayer beads in a church pew on a Sunday morning... You know, go for it. If that if that if that's what works for somebody, go for it. But that's not what only works for me. So that's what I wanted to bring to the book because I kind of feel like, in some ways, you know, if I feel like I sometimes get farther and farther away from God, I can't be the only one feeling that way. Right. You know, right. I'm not the only one who's had bad things happen to her. I'm not the only one who. Um, you know, was upset um, by September 11th, you know, on, a, on a, a psychic level. I mean, you know, so therefore I thought if I could find goodness in these beads, then everybody can find goodness in these beads. Because, I, I mean, I'm just an average schmo, you know. <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have a theology degree. Um, I just have what I, I think is a pretty universal longing, which is to reach out to something that is bigger than just my little cares and worries. Mm-hmm. So when I wrote it, when I wrote, wrote the book, I tried to be very careful to never say, you can only use these beads this way, mm-hmm. um, you can only use these beads that way. I, I tried to say, you know, this is the Catholic rosary, and this is how Catholics use it. And if you, you know, but you can also do this if it feels right to you. Uh, if it doesn't feel right to you, don't do it. Find something that does feel right to you. Um, and, and I also tried, uh, there's that second section where, um, where it's full of prayers for um, different forms of prayer beats. And I tried to think of all the different circumstances that might bring me to want to pray with my bee, a need to be thankful, a need to be calm, you know, a need to, to calm myself down, a need to feel soothed. 
um, a need to ask for ask for something like you know give me the the intelligence to um, do this work that I'm about to do. There's a set of prayers in there um, uh, for setting out upon some form of work for the health of someone else, for one's own health. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to think of all the, that are, and those are all universal. Right. You can be Catholic, Jewish, a seeker who doesn't attend any particular church, you know, someone who considers themselves uh, spiritual but not religious. And we all have that need of sometimes you just want to be soothed or you want to be thankful for the good things you have mm-hmm. or you need to ask for guidance. And so, so I tried to make sure that all of that got in the book. What's really nice is it's educational. I mean, because you can kind of feel like uh, you're not just learning how to make a rosary. Mm-hmm. You get an understanding of what they were used for. And it sounds like you pretty quickly after learning about rosaries yourself started to make them. Oh, yeah. And that became, it sounds like you have a little a bit of, a, of an addiction to this practice now. I must have <laughs> 40 or 50 sets. Wow. Of all different kinds. Um, in fact, um, all the beads that you see in the book, all the, the photographs in the book, uh, with, with one or two exceptions, are um, prayer beads that I made. Wow. There's, there's one or two that were gifts to me that I just thought were so pretty. They're in, you know, like a traditional Catholic rosary. There. Mm-hmm. They're in the book. And um, I have so many that um, right now there is a trunk show of my beads, of oh my, my rosaries, uh, my rosaries and prayer beads in uh, Maumee, Ohio. In this bead store, there's uh, this bead store in Maumee, Ohio, uh, Bonita Bead Boutique, um, teaches a class on how to make Catholic rosary, and they um, heard about my book, contacted me, and said, wow, this is really cool, we're going to carry your book in the store, do you have a trunk show? And I went, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) I called them and said... Well, I could send you, you know, some samples of different kinds, and you could, you, you can't sell them. You know, I don't sell prayer beads, um, but you can show. Like, I sent them uh, a Buddhist mala, and I sent them uh, an Islamic subha, and I sent them. I think I sent them two Catholic rosaries. I sent them a set of Baha'i prayer beads. Um, I sent them a number of. Anglican rosaries, Anglican prayer beads, because there's so much you can do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they have it there now in a little case, and it's been a great tool for them um, to sell their own beads. Um, but I, I don't sell them. But yeah, it's just been, it's just been a, a lot of fun. Um, and it's, yeah, you know, because when I did the quilting book, I was really at, at a remove. You know, I would have to ask the quilters, well, when you make a quilt for another person, how do you do that prayerfully? Mm-hmm. Explain that to me. Right. And so the process was being translated through me. And, you know, with this one, I was so excited when um, my, my publisher and I came up with this idea because I was like, oh, I, I know how to do this. I can describe how this works for me spiritually. Whereas with the quilting, I really couldn't. I could describe. I had to describe how it worked spiritually for others, and and it was a shame because it, I think it's a good book, but it there's so much more of me in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that de- de- definitely comes through. Is that this is a process, um, and in a way, I mean, you're really having a dialogue with your reader. Yeah, you know, and um, I think that makes the material 
um, I know that always resonates with me as a reader. You know, yeah. I like when I feel like I'm connecting with the author well, on some really level. That's really what I so. wanted. That's really, really what I wanted. So, well, I think you accomplished that. Cool. You've said a couple times that you don't sell the beads. Have you decided that your main mission is that you want to help people learn to make their own? Correct. Um, you consider that part of the um, the process, the spiritual process and the I mean because just it kind of goes really hand in hand with the whole crafting and as as a um, form of meditation and um, for a lot of people I mean there's the Church of Craft I know Sister Diane um, who has her podcast is also leads a Church of Craft and she talked a little bit about that when we did kind of an interview of each other um, Uh a couple years ago and it's intriguing because I really think that you know it's um, just that practice is so important for people to feel like they have some sense of control over their lives and also can connect on a high level and it's a sense of claiming um, control is not the right word that I want to use here. I don't want to say claiming control of one's spirituality, but it's a sense of putting a personal claim on one's faith. So yes, I do not sell prayer beads. There are people who do, and that's that's fine. That's a decision that they make. And people have, you know, if somebody doesn't want to make their own prayer beads and wants to buy them, fine. You know, that do what works for you. But I feel like. One of the very, very special things about this is that if you make your own, all you have to know how to do is thread a needle and tie a knot. Right. That's it. Right. You know, you've got to be able to thread a needle and tie a, tie a knot. That's all you need to know how to do. If you can do that, you can pick out. You don't even have to follow the, the, the accepted pattern of what a, what a Catholic rosary looks like or what an Anglican rosary looks like or, or what a set of Baha'i prayer beads or the pearls of life look like. You can simply take a random number of beads. You can, what, what's a lucky number for you? 21. Pick out 21 beads, string them, tie a knot, and decide what prayers you want to say on each bead. And the sense of ownership, destiny, uh, intimacy, I think, that that's got to give, that at least that's why I do it. You know, that I picked these beads because the ocean soothes me, so I chose this, this bottle green color that reminds me of the waves, and I chose these fake pearls because that also reminds me of the ocean, and I chose um, uh, this, this sand-colored uh, terminal charm across or, or a shell, whatever, because when I'm at the beach is when I feel most calm and when I feel most uh, connected to the divine because I think, you know, everybody sees God in different things. I see God at the beach, in the ocean. Mm-hmm. I see God in the ocean. And so if I make a pr- set of prayer beads like that, and I have, the uh, I'm halfway there just when I pick it up. Well, it has so much more meaning already in it. That's right. You know, before you even start to pray. That's right. So to me... I personally want to make my own. Or, um, I talk about this in the book, if you want to make a set for someone, what an amazing gift. What an amazing gift. And and I I encourage people, in in the book, I encourage people, if you are going to make a gift of prayer beads for someone, you know, first find out if they're open to this. You know, maybe show them yours, or, or, you know, maybe you know that they're a particularly spiritual person, or or whatever. and think about what colors speak to them, what, what kind of music they like. Um, you know, when they go on vacation, where do they go? Do they go to the beach or the mountains? Um, uh, do they like hot food, spicy food, or are they always looking for something calm 
you know, and think about the colors, what that says about the colors that you might want to use and what kind of materials you might want to use. I mean, are they, like, I like sparkly things, right? So I always want my prayer beads to be made out of glass. I have a hard time making prayer beads out of stone because it's not sparkly enough for me. But, you know, right, right. <laughs> on the other hand, it feels really good in the hand. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can just make it as personal as you want. You don't have to put... At the, you know how when you think of a Catholic rosary, it always has a crucifix at the end. Right, right. But you don't have to put a, a traditional religious emblem at the bottom of your prayer beads or rosary. Uh, it, the cover of the book has three examples. One has a cross. One has a charm of a labyrinth, which I found particularly um, uh, representative of sometimes the way I feel in my relationship with God is, you know, where are you? And then the other one has um, a tree, has, a, has a, a charm of a tree contained, a silver tree contained within a, um, an oval. And to me, I always see, to me, I've always seen that as um, a representation of just the majesty of God in a tree. I mean, a tree to me is the biggest miracle in the world. Trees so are beautiful. To me, yeah, you know? yeah. So you can put anything. If, if a bottle cap speaks to you, put a bottle cap at the end. It does not matter. It only matters that it speaks to the person who uses it. And I completely agree with you on that. And I think that, um, but I wonder though, are there people that, um, I don't know if you've had any experiences where you've, you know, talked about this either at a book signing or an event. Um, and sometimes people, um, and this goes for people of all faiths and religions, whether are people who are very um, extreme in the sense that they believe that what they believe is correct and yeah. the other stuff is completely wrong. And I can see where people who have very set um, notions about um, right and wrong when it comes to religion um, could say, you know what, it's not okay to have a tree, you know, and, and I, I, I agree with you, you know, I, yeah. I think that, um, really this religion is it's such a, it's all of this and spirituality is so personal right. that it's not appropriate for me to sit here or for you to sit here and say, you know, this is the way it is for everyone, because that's right. just not, that's just not the way, um, our approach is. However, have you had anybody say or challenge you on, um, the whole notion of putting other things besides some in, in, in really interpreting this any way you want. I mean, yeah, not yet, but uh, I am not naive enough after 15 years of being a religion reporter to think that that isn't coming. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, what can you say to those people? Yeah. You're not going to change their mind. Um, and you have to be polite, and you have to respect their opinion because you want them to respect yours. Of course. Yeah, I haven't had anyone challenge me yet. I did have one person who did come to my blog. Um, I had done a blog entry on um, making and using the Baha'i prayer beads. And I was, you know, describing what the Baha'i faith is, what Baha'is believe. What, can you explain, just give a quick, for folks at home who might not have any sure. idea, just uh, explain. Oh gosh, if I can remember. Uh. <laughs> consulting something. Um, the Baha'i faith, I think, began in the middle 1800s in um, what is now Iran and was then Persia. And um, a, a, a mystical man um, named Baha Alua uh, was um, came and said, you know, uh, he, he was he was uh, uh, their prophet, and um, basically what he taught is that 
all religions are good. God loves everybody. Um, there is wisdom and truth in all religions. So it's a, it's a, it's a religion. Baha'is will describe it as a religion of great unity. That's their big thing. And um, it was because it was born in Persia, it has a lot of influence of um, Islam. So not surprisingly, they have prayer beads. And um, I was describing that and saying how, um, uh, you know, in Islam, uh, on the prayer beads, Muslims will pray the 99 names they have for God. So not surprisingly, in the Baha'i faith, um, they, they have uh, something, oh, now my memory is, drawing a blank, but it has something to do also with naming God that they do on their prayer beads. And they, their prayer beads, one side has five beads, and the other side has, uh, I think it's 19 beads. And you have to say all 19 beads five times. And it's not compulsory. Nope, you, you know, a good Baha'i does not have to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I had explained this uh, on the blog um, and given directions for how to make a set of Baha'i prayer beads, and, you know, one person wrote in and said, um, these people are going to hell, this is a false god, these are false prayers, you know, quoted scripture, went on at great length, and, um, you know, this was the first dilemma I had where, uh, as, a, as a blogger, this was my first dilemma of, you know, do you approve, unapprove, right, <laughs> edit right. the comment, and I, I really didn't know what to do because I don't agree, but if, if as I say in the book and, and as I try to say in my personal life, it's not for me to judge what's in another person's heart spiritually, mm-hmm. and it's not for me to say your faith is wrong, your religion is wrong, your ideas are about religion are wrong, then I have to post the comment. So I decided to post the comment, and I responded you know, by saying, yes, but, um, you know, this religion, this is what they believe, and they're worthy of our respect, and um, they do not consider this vain repetition of prayer, and, and Baha'is also revere Jesus, and, you know, Baha'u'llah taught that, um, that Jesus was a holy man, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I never heard back from that person, which I was not sad about. Um, and I didn't get any unhappy Baha'is contacting me either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that challenge is coming, and because um, I've had it before in, in uh, other religion reporting that I've done. Um, I, had, I had it actually quite extensively on the, um, the Fabric of Faith book, the book about the prayer quilting. Oh, you did? Yeah, because the ministry that runs the prayer quilt, it's called, it's called uh, Prayers and Squares. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, they uh, are run out of, I think, oh, my memory is so scratchy. But it was, it was born, it was like born in a Presbyterian church, but it's now being run out of a um, Methodist church in San Diego. And they are a welcoming and affirming Methodist church, and part of their, they feel very strongly, the people who started this ministry feel very strongly that it's not about who you pray to, it's about praying. So they welcome any and all people of faith into, you know, starting their own chapter of this ministry. And once I wrote that in the book, groups that were from more evangelical and fundamentalist churches, some, not all, 
got upset and withdrew from the ministry because they felt they couldn't be in fellowship with people who thought it was okay if you pray to Allah instead of God or Jesus. And so a lot of people challenged me and challenged the, um, more challenged the um, leadership of this ministry. Wow. And how, and, did, how did you deal with that? What did you do? Um, well, you know, again, that wasn't personal. I was just reporting. Right, what they what, were doing. Yeah, I was just reporting. So um, I didn't take that personally. You know, I said, well, that's what the ministry believes. That's what I reported. But now... In this book, it's much more personal, right? Right, because you... where I'm saying... Exactly. You're having yeah. the dialogue. You're and, saying first person, yeah. Yeah, and like I say, I haven't had to deal with that yet, but I know it's coming, and I will simply face that bridge, you know, when I come to it, and I will be as patient and as respectful as I can possibly be, because I just, I don't agree. You know, I think God is there for everyone. And, you know, if you talk to him differently than I do, that's okay. <laughs> it's not for me to say. It's not for me, in my opinion, it's not for me or anybody else to judge another person's personal relationship with God, whoever that God is, however they talk to him. So I think that's just what I will say, you know. I mean, this is a, the, the cool thing about this is because prayer beads are a personal practice, it's not, you know, something you do in a denominational setting necessarily, or you don't go to, I mean, in the Catholic Church, they certainly go to rosary, you know, let's go officially say the rosary together, but you don't really do that in any other faith, and so if, you know, however you, there are no rosary police right, out right. there to say, no, you did that wrong. There are no prayer bead cops that are going to come and say, you have to take that tree charm off your prayer beads and put a... Uh, a star or a cross or or whatever. Well, the and, thing that's kind of neat about this too is that I mean these are beautiful pieces of jewelry too. I mean if you if you just if you wore them, you know, or I whether you I would not. Um personally I would not wear them. Um it just for no other I can't really put it into words but it just doesn't feel right to me. Now, having said that, I do wear I have a set of uh prayer beads that are a bracelet and I do wear them. I have a friend who could not, it's uh, the woman who founded the, um, or not founded, but the president of the prayer court ministry. Um, she got a hold of the book, could not wait to make a set of prayer beads, made a set of prayer beads, and wears them. Mm -hmm. And it looks great on her, and it's right for her. You know what I mean? It's well, and I think some of the, I mean, some of these things, like if you have like the tree, and it, you're, yeah. I mean, if you're wearing a crucifix around your neck, um, you know, it's pretty obvious that, That's okay, that, true. I mean, people could recognize that, okay, this looks kind of like a rosary. It looks like this person's wearing a rosary, which personally, I have no problem with a person if they want to put it in their pocket or wear yeah. it where I can see it. But um, the thing that's interesting, too, is that you kind of show people how to do their own variation on this, where they could actually have something that they're wearing that privately represents more than what the average viewer would know. Unless someone's counting the beads and has yeah. every page of your book memorized, yeah. uh, there's a good chance you could pass something off you know, as just a piece of jewelry, but yet have something that's extremely meaningful. And I think there are probably beaders out there who, even if they're not making an official prayer bead, right. uh, you know, stringing prayer beads, I think there are people out there that make jewelry that really feel like this is a meaningful thing. This is for Aunt Susie or my best friend. Right. And a lot of thought and meaning goes into the you know, what they're making for that person. But I, I just, it kind of got me when I saw the, the, the pictures of the non-traditional options. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of made me think that, wow, you could really make this into something that it's so personal and it can and remain you know, personal. If that works for somebody, I said, go ahead and do it. Yeah. You know? 
personally, it's probably because I'm a child of the 80s. (laughs) You're not (laughs) into wearing the rosaries. I remember Madonna, when she went through that period of wearing the rosary, and and I remember she said this thing about, I like the rosary. It has a sexy naked man on it. Oh, goodness. And I remember, I was probably, I don't know how, well, let's see, in the the 80s, how old was I? I graduated from college in 1986, and I just remember thinking, ew. Yeah, she was kind of, yeah, I think if you leave your fishnets and your comb bra (laughs) aside, um, perhaps you could wear a rosary um, in a more respectful way. Um, However, you know, like I said, I mean, it's to each his own. But yeah, um, I can understand why you'd be reluctant giving the thought of, you know, because yeah, um, Madonna definitely was wearing her rosary for a different effect and different purpose. um, Because I I don't recall her praying on stage um, before she was doing her. And and didn't George Michael wear one for a while? You know, um, I haven't followed George's closely, so I don't know. Um, (laughs) I don't know what he was doing. But I know he's trying to make a comeback. Um, I don't know if he's got some pervies in his pocket that are helping him uh, along I, I have no idea I don't know. but um yeah that's uh but it, you're right I mean this is definitely something that um you know some people take things to the extreme yes. and want yes. to make it into a um you know kind of a political statement and you know and if that's what someone wants to do great you know it yes, sounds like exactly. your your approach is just here I'm giving you the information and um and that's what makes this so dicey I think anytime religion is involved in yeah. a discussion yeah. um because it is such a personal thing and it's, it's something that people just I mean it's such a powerful part of people's lives I mean yeah. wars are fought I mean you can always trace it back to I mean every war that's fought there's a difference in religion usually a difference right. in very uh, deep held beliefs and um, I mean if people are willing to I mean it's it's just the most I think volatile topic you could ever discuss so imagine my reluctance when I'm like oh no there's religion involved yeah, know. you know, know but at the same time I think it's as a journalist I've never been one to like shy away from a discussion because there is a re- something that made me nervous or whatever right. and it's not just a, a nervousness because I am feeling confident in what I'm doing and what I believe however it's just the whole as you said I mean when some people don't agree or, or they have very uh, strong beliefs you have to try to um, mm-hmm. my approach is kind of respecting what people and the freedom of speech and the freedom to have your own religion and practice it, you know, I respect that. But not everybody comes at it the same way. No, so, did you no. think? I mean, did the thought ever go through your head, like, okay, do I? I mean, I know you've been a religion reporter. You said for about fifteen years now. Yeah, about fifteen years. So, for you, I mean, this is something that you're coming into. Um, you're reporting on differences in religions all the time. Um, all the time. So, this for you is like second nature. But to the average reader, I mean, this might not be something they would expect from a beating book, you know. And I know your publisher, Morehouse Publishing, is their lineup uh, mainly uh, religious publications. Yes. Okay. They're so they're, um, they're a uh, what would be the right thing? I don't know if it's an imprint or a subsidiary or something. Uh, you know, they they fall under a larger umbrella of something called church publishing. Okay. And they are they are Anglican publishers. Okay. Uh, Anglican slash Episcopal publishers. But they do uh, one of the reasons I like them. One of the reasons we've we've done two books together and might do a third. They are not uh, an exclusive publisher where they'll say, "Oh no, you know, you can't say." in your book that it's okay to pray on Islamic prayer beads. Okay, you know, so they or, or let you can't include Islamic. So they, they they let you have, even though they're coming at it from a one approach as far yes. as the philosophy of the, the business. They are they never said a word. They 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 are they are that you know that welcoming and affirming, if you will. Yeah. Uh, that is very important to me personally, and so they've never directed me in in any kind of proselytizing way or any kind of 
prescriptive way about what faiths I can what I can say or can't say about a certain faith. Yeah, and that's got to. I mean, that's ultimately important as a journalist. I mean, taking oh, the approach. Cause I if wouldn't you're, do it otherwise. Right, because if you're constricted in any way, yeah. um, we well, always run when I screaming from that book, kind of stuff. Um, when they they approached me about the first book, the book about uh, the prayer quilting. Right. And when they approached me about it, said, "Would you be willing to write this for us?" I said, "I will be, but I have one condition." And that condition is that I will not proselytize. And they were like, no problem. We don't want to proselytize. So um, we've had a great relationship ever since. Well, that's great. So yeah. it's so you're able to kind of do your thing, yeah. not be constricted. But, of course, I mean, obviously this is going to be the, the, their market. I mean, they're marketing yeah. people of faith and, you know, people who practice religions. And, all, you know, it's obviously they would be interested in this book. But um, what kind of response have you gotten from the broader marketplace of readers? I mean, what, what kind of response have you got? Do you have any idea, like, uh, are you hearing mostly from people who are in church craft groups? Or, um... I've been hearing from, I've really heard from a mix of people. Um, uh, I've, uh, on the blog, um, I encourage people, you know, to let me know when they, if they read the book, if they make prayer beads, oh my gosh, please tell me what you made. Tell me, you know, how you chose um, these, you know, why you chose these beads, why you chose this format, how you're going to use it. And I've been getting a lot of positive response on the blog from people who consider themselves spiritual but not religious, people who consider themselves former Catholics who are now something else, Catholics, um, all different forms of Protestants. I've had some pagans on there. I've had Baha'i. Uh, faith on there. I've had a Baptist on there. Um, all tell me this is cool. Uh, and then in the broader marketplace, um, you know, like let's say the secular marketplace where I've been trying to get the, the book in beading and crafting stores, I've also gotten a lot of positive response there um, because of the context it has. You know, it, the book has very simple, you know, instructions on how to make all these different kinds of prayer beads. It just basically has basic stringing instructions. So if you're a beater and you go into a bead store, you know, every other book on the shelf is going to be much more complicated than mine. Right. But what they like, what I'm hearing that they like about mine is that it has a lot of context. Like you were saying about, you know, the history. It tells you the history of the bead, um, the history of prayer beads. Um, There's a section that tells you... um, what the spiritual meaning of certain stones and colors are. And this stuff is all out there before. I didn't, you know, invent this. But this, uh, what I'm hearing is this is the first time it's been in one, um, between one set of covers. Right, and, right. And that's really good because I, really I really wanted something. I really wanted to, this to be something like that. And then um, just from the, uh, should we say, the book marketplace, it's been getting extremely positive reviews. It got a starred review. I'm so proud of this. It got a starred review from Publishers Weekly, which is just huge. Um, yeah, congratulations on that. You. That is I, I wonderful. Mean, I'm really thrilled about that, and I got that information just after my birthday, which was really cool. And But I'm really happy about that because it doesn't, they don't give out a lot of stars, and they certainly don't give out stars to craft books. And they don't give out a lot of stars to religion books, and I was just really, I was so tickled. And that's, you know, way an understatement. I was in tears, actually. I was so happy. Because you know how it is. You're, you're a journalist. You write, and you're in a vacuum. You don't have anybody. I mean, I, I write in, at home. You know, I have a home office. It's me and my black lab. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't know from prayer beads. Right, right. And, you know, you're sitting there, and you're writing, and you don't know, am I 
you know, am I saying this correctly? Am I getting the essence of what I, am I getting my essence out there? Am I able to convey why this is important to me and why I think these are so cool? And then you wait another year before you get any kind of response. So when it comes, it's really important and it's really um, gratifying. Now you say that you work at home, so you're doing freelance work. And um, according to I think one of the emails I had, you would you work for Religion Link, mm-hmm. uh, Publishers Weekly, and Belief Net. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm a freelancer. Okay, so, um, so I have a number of clients that I pitch stories to. Okay, uh, I I am on contract with something called Religion Link, which is a, a very specialized publication. It is for um, religion reporters. I see. It's okay. like a religion reporter's magazine, let's say. Okay. Um, and then uh, beliefnet.com, uh, the giant, fabulous, spiritual uh, website. I, I will pitch stories to them. They will pitch ideas to me. Uh, same with Publishers Weekly. They, they pitch me ideas and say, you know, they say, we want a story on what's new in Christian fiction. Do you want to do that? Okay. And I'll say, but of course. And <laughs> I can't afford to turn down work. Right, um, right. And then I write for um, something called uh, Religion News Service, which is basically kind of like the AP, right. but, you know, Associated Press. It's a wire service. But all the stories are about religion, and they are all uh, uh, from a secular standpoint. So it's, it's not a religious press. It's a secular uh, wire service that just happens to cover only religion. I see. And uh, so, you know, stories appear, when, when you write stories for them, stories appear in different places, and um, it, it's, it's wonderful. It's really, I'm a very lucky person. So was it more challenging or less challenging for you um, to get a, a, a review in Publishers Weekly, being that you had a connection there? Uh, I mean, um, sometimes it's harder when I know I've watched yeah. uh, people who've come come out with books at my newspaper even and sometimes it's if it's one of our own um we're almost reluctant to give yep. them to you know I don't know how how was that process for you Well I'll tell you I didn't have any control over anything Um the book was submitted by my publisher I'm sure of course they recognized my name as the author because I've been writing for them for 10 years Right right But lest anybody think I got preferential treatment when my first book came out in, um, I think my first book came out in 2002, and it, it, it wasn't about religion. I mean, it was about religion, but it wasn't about crafts. And Publishers Weekly reviewed it, and they gave it a stinko, stinko review. Really? So there you go. Now, were you working for them at the time? Oh, yes. Oh, that had to be, how was that? Oh, my goodness. Um, it was not fun. Jeez. Um, I felt the review was not fair in, I, I just didn't feel like the, you know, of course every writer says this, I didn't feel like it was fair, but I really didn't feel like she read the book, whoever reviewed it, I didn't feel like they'd read the same book I wrote. It was just strange. It was very strange. So you have that experience, and then yes. so you're probably kind of nervous when the second book comes out, and you're nervous. like, oh no, what I is this going to be like? I was very nervous. So you're putting on your helmet, you know, yes. in your padded uh, suit. Getting ready to be walloped, um, you know, or did you just think that, I mean, did you even care? I mean, I don't know how much stock. No, I cared. You, you cared, I, okay. You know, I'd, I'd love to tell you I didn't care, but I do care because, you know, you, like I said, you spend two years of your life, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of me in this book. Right, that's true. I mean, this and, is definitely a different yeah, approach. And, and so, yeah, no, I definitely cared, but, you know, even if it was a bit, there's, you know, there's the old axiom, there's no such thing as bad publicity. And so even if they've given it a stinko review, the name is out there, the picture of the cover's out there, but they didn't. 
And, you know, I was so thrilled because I had been burned the first time. And the second book they did not review. So they gave the first one a stinko review. The second one they ignored. And the, and the second one again was, which one was the second one again? The second one was the quilting book, Fabric of Faith. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And the first one was the... The first uh, book is called, it has a terrible title. Are you ready for this? Uh, Faith Beyond Faith Healing. Oh, yeah, that is kind of a cumbersome <laughs> title. But it, it, I thought it was a good idea for a book. It was, um, I wanted to know what happened to people of faith who became seriously ill, sought some form of faith healing, and didn't get it. Oh, yeah. How that changed their idea of who God was and what he can and cannot do and the way he works in, our, in their lives. Mm-hmm. And it was a downer. It was a very depressing book. A lot of the people I wrote about were dead by the time it came out. It was very, it was really a downer. And so they <laughs> this depressing book. Well, maybe that's why the woman went ahead to like go on antidepressants after the doctor. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm kidding. They gave it a bad review. That's okay. Right. Um, I survived. It didn't sell very well, but it was from a very small publisher and it wasn't going to sell very well anyway. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And I'm proud of that book. You know, it still occasionally sells a copy here and there uh, on Amazon. But so when, to get back to your question, you know, when I saw that review from Publishers Weekly, I was just over the moon because I had been burned by them before. And, um, and I respect them because obviously I work for them and they, they do good work and they have very high, um, high standards. Mm-hmm. And so I was really pleased. I think even people that don't consider themselves religious at all might think, you know, I'm a complete atheist and I, I don't believe in any kind of organized religion at all. Or I mean, and I think still there are people that feel that way who are crafting up a storm and creative and talented. And, and I think this becomes the meditative practice, yeah. you know, this making thing and making yeah. of things. And, you know, it's interesting how... A book about making prayer beads could actually, it was, it's kind of amazing and remarkable to me that this can actually appeal to people who the last thing they'd ever want to do is be caught in a Catholic church right. saying the rosary, right. you know. And I think that there's something, well, the, the hardcore, and I probably, the, I shouldn't say hardcore, but, but the, the, uh, the very um, strong religious pe- you know, people out there who think it, there's one way to do things. Um, I think that it's just amazing to me that you can have a book that could appeal to that kind of person and also a person who is just the complete other end of the spectrum. And I think I, I see this as a sign that, you know, we're going to be okay in all yeah. this because, you know, if you can get all those people to find something in the pages of one book, I, I, oh, I just think I that's a good so. sign. That you know, really, that's my biggest hope is, is like I say, you know, to bring is I like to focus on how we can all come together, not on how we can all point fingers and be different and, you go stand over there because you're different from me. I'm just not into that. And, and prayer beads to me are, and I love the symbolism of, you know, it's a circle. And to me, we're all in the circle. Right. And I want to hear stories. I want, I want people who read the book or don't read the book, people who just make and use prayer beads to come and visit the blog and tell me and other people about how, what prayer beads have meant to them, how they use them, how they've advanced them on their spiritual journey, and just what they mean to them. Because to me, I'm, I'm just always learning from other people. 
And, you know, I don't think that I have the last word on prayer beads. I have my perspective, and I'm constantly surprised by what people turn up on that blog and tell me they put this bead because it represents that, and then they prayed this prayer because it spoke to them of this. I'm just like, whoa, you know, I need to be taking lessons from you. Well, and that's the fun part about creating a book like that is that you get to see now you've put this information out there and it's up to the, the people at home to to do what they, you know, interpret it as they will and yeah. and uh, take it from there. And that's got to be pretty satisfying for you. It is. I love it. I love it. You did talk about your friend, Thank Sandy. You. And I don't know. I mean, I thought that that was a very moving story. I don't know if you care to uh, to share that story. Oh, I'd love to. I, I love her. She I think that might be something time. that we should end with. Yeah. Sandy was, I had this friend uh, that I met through my knitting group. I joined this knitting group like four years ago. You know, like I was saying, I'm I'm always so isolated because I'm at home, I work by myself, and I don't get out and meet people. So I made this effort to join this knitting group, and it has been such a blessing in my life. Friendships with women who, a few who are my age, but most who are older, and have been really unbelievably valuable mentors to me. And uh, Sandy was in this group, and she was older than I am. She was retired, and I just loved her. She's a very, very uh, beautiful woman of faith. I think by by practice, I know by practice, she was a Lutheran. And she was one of those people who has a gift for faith and just saw the beauty of God in everyone. She She just loved everyone. And when I met her, she had already been quite ill for some time. She had a a, a number of chronic ailments. And over the time that I got to know her, she declined a little bit, and then she declined a little bit more, and then she had a particular crisis and ended up in and out of the hospital. And um, before she went in the hospital, I had gotten the contract on this book, and I told her what it was about, and I said, you know, prayer beads. And did you know there are prayer beads for Protestants? Because she was a Lutheran. She said, oh, my God, that is just the greatest thing. Of course, why not? We can all use prayer. I mean, she was just right there with me the whole way. She thought this was a great idea. This was going to be a great book. She was always very encouraging. And, you know, when you have any kind of project, you sort of, you know, get off to a hot start, and then you kind of get to the middle, and you flounder around. And right, you wonder why you even got yourself into it in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I floundered for a while. I don't know where I'm going with this. Can I do this? Blah, blah, you know, all full of self-doubts. And that was when Sandy became very, very ill. And um, she went in the hospital, and uh, she wasn't going to come out. And I had the very good fortune to be among, I would say, there were about eight or nine of us who were with her when she passed away. And I had made her a set of prayer beads, which she had with her in the hospital. And when she, you know, she was in a coma and they they unhooked her and um, we just sort of watched her slip away. And the whole time I was praying my prayer beads. But again, I got into that thing of, being mad at God. Right. Why did you take my friend Sandy? And thinking because you, you prayed really hard that this I was going to come. I prayed really hard. Yeah. And on my prayer beads, you know. Right, 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 right. That makes and, it extra doubly good. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, this doesn't work. Right, And, you know, right. screw you, God. And I did not write the book. You know, I, did, I, I put the book way down. I mean, I just didn't touch it at all. And then one day... 
about, a, I guess it was about a month or two months after Sandy died, I thought, I have to work on that book. I have to work on that book. And then it occurred, and I want to work on that book. I don't want to do it. And it just suddenly, I was standing in the mirror, like, blow-drying my hair. And it was like Sandy just tapped me on the back. And all of a sudden, I just thought, Sandy would want me to finish this book. Sandy would want people to know about the wonderful unifying force that prayer beads can be. And so I started working on it again. And in the process of, in the middle of working on it, Sandy's estate became, I don't know what you say, you know, it matured, where if she said, I would like to leave such and such to you, you could come and, and pick it up. And she had left me this beautiful antique bed. It was her bed, and it was very special to her. She had gotten to this very critical time in her life, and she just loved this antique bed. So my husband and I went over to her house, and we were dismantling the bed. We were taking it apart, and we were taking the slats out of the bottom of the bed, and I heard something go clink. Something fell off the bed frame onto the hard floor. And I looked down, and I saw this little silver disc. And I picked it up, and you have to remember, I'm still really pissed off at God. And I picked it up, and I looked at it, and it was a, a charm, like from a charm bracelet. And on the front was a set of praying hands. And on the back it said, I am a Lutheran. God answers prayer. And I am telling you, I just flipped out. I mean, I know Sandy put that there for me because that's what I needed to hear. I needed to hear, you need to do this book. It's important. And God is with you. And he does answer your prayers even though it may not seem like, you, you know, he's not a jukebox. You didn't get exactly what you wanted, but he's here, and he's here for you. And so I dedicated the book to her. And I think that was great that you shared that story, oh, you know, okay. in your book. And because it, it also just goes to show, too, that sometimes we just have to be open, you know, to the signs, and, and then they're there, you yeah. know. So um, I loved her very much. Yeah, and I'm so sorry to hear that you had to go through that. That's that's one of the horrible parts of... But that's what life the, is. Right, you know? I mean, we have the great connections we make with people, and then it hurts when people are no longer with us. But yeah. it's been really great to get a chance to, to chat with you about your book, and I really do appreciate your time, and I think this is going to be really fun to, um, oh, to kind of put so this much. out there for people and um, and just have, you know, sometimes the discussions that make me a little nervous about, because, you know, you don't want to do something that's going to set people off. But I mm -hmm. think that we have a mature audience and I think it's going to be a fun discussion. In fact, um, what I'm going to do for the random drawing for the book is ask them basically to do what you've asked as post their kind of their stories about oh, you know, what cool. this all means. Because I think that gives people a chance to kind of absorb what we've talked about right. and respond. Thanks, Kimberly, for coming on the show and telling us about your book. I really appreciate that. I know I learned a lot from this episode. And I hope you folks at home did, too. If you'd like to get in the drawing to win a copy of Bead One, Pray Two, all you have to do is head over to CraftSanity.com and post a comment below episode 81. And just tell us what you thought of this episode. What do you make of prayer beads? Have you ever used them? Is it something that you would make? Just tell us your story. You can take this in any direction you choose. Just leave a comment by Saturday, July 19th. Over at CraftSanity.com, you'll also find links to Kimberly Winston's blog, and also you'll find a prayer bead project, so be sure to check that out. Thank you, Kimberly, for letting us post that. Once again, I'd like to thank this week's sponsors for supporting the show. 
Thanks to Patricia Zapata of alittlehut.com, zapatadesign.com, and craftsynergy.com. Patricia is an independent graphic designer who makes small series paper illustrations, DIY templates, and block print cards. Likewise, I'd like to thank David and Tina Lindquist. Please check out their work at craftiness.etsy.com and tinascraftiness.blogspot.com. David is a wood turner who makes pens, oil lamps, knitting needles, no stapinas for ball winding, small bud vases, and small bowls on a lathe in his garage in Austin, Texas. Don't worry about trying to remember all the sponsor web addresses. Those are on craftsanity.com, so you can check them out there. If you would like to sponsor an upcoming episode of Craft Sanity, there's a link on the website. You can just click on Sponsor up on the left-hand side for all the information. I really appreciate those of you who have sponsored shows and uh, continue to buy t-shirts and even, you know, I get the occasional donation every now and then. I really appreciate that because like many of you at home, you know, this is something that I made and I talk in a microphone to people that I can't see. And it's amazing how much fun I have doing this. And I would love to continue to go down this path and see what I can grow this podcast into and uh, have a couple other projects brewing on the side, all craft related. So I'm really headed in this direction full force and really appreciate the fact that um, you folks at home, whether it's just in a nice email or actually wanting to buy into this product that I'm producing and sponsor the show, it means so much to me. And I really want you to know that. So thanks again for tuning in. I really uh, have enjoyed spending some time with you again this week and I'm hoping to have a faster turnaround for my next episode. I'm very excited because I'm going to bring you a conversation with Amy Singer, the editor of Nitty.com. Yes, the fabulous Nitty.com. So look forward to that. That's going to be the next show. Yes, I better get going because I have a lot of other work to do. I actually have some aprons to make, so I got to go. The sewing machine calls. You guys have a great week. I'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.